In the second half, Maxi looking for more. He's got it! Daniel House will up and under on the lob and then flies in with the emphatic one hand jam. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the PickSwap Media YouTube channel. My name is Sean Bernard, and I'm here with Ryan Coyle, as always, here to talk some NBA takeaways. The playoffs are still going. The Philadelphia 76ers are no longer in the competition, so we will not be talking about them as much today. Before we get fully into it, Ryan, how are we doing? How's your mindset like? I'm all right. Uh, took a couple weeks off from the podcast since the NFL draft, kind of a little reboot now. We're getting into NBA drafts, so we're going to be start doing some of that stuff. Uh, but I think this is a good way to kind of start it off, wrap up the the Sixers season a little bit once again prematurely, and then uh, start looking ahead to next year once again. So it, it's, it never stops, but feels good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, NBA draft lottery tonight, uh, if that does wrap up by the time we're done here, we'll give some final thoughts on that. But mainly we want to talk about the the playoffs and everything. But before we get fully into it, I do want to recognize Doc Rivers being officially fired by the Sixers tonight. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that in particular? And I'll give my little spiel after. I mean, the regular season success, like probably the best, you know, three-year stretch in since the 80s or the glory days, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's no denying that. But he even said it. I think it was his kind of own final nail in the coffin at that press conference after the game where he goes, I think tonight, like kind of pushes all the great stuff we did do in the regular season aside and it kind of gives us a step back. I mean, I I was in your kind of camp with the, you know, you can't play, place all this blame on him. And I think especially in the NBA, it's such a player-driven league where yeah. I think NFL, you certainly need your, your, your fair share of players, but you can do a lot of things to kind of control the game more, I think, as a coach and as a, as a staff in its whole uh, compared to the NBA. If, you're, if your stars aren't showing up, you're not going to go far. So I, I don't think it's fair to place all the blame on him, but I, I do think this – is the first domino that kind of needed to happen. Um, there is a lot of big name coaches out on the market, but I think those guys are also fired for, for a reason as well. So that's, that is one of the things I kind of want to talk about as we go on. But um, I, I just, I just don't think he was going to be the guy to ever get you over that hump. I know it kind of sounds stupid to say this maybe, but like, I think that's what one of the big things the Warriors did with Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr, they saw like, what they were with Mark Jackson at times, but I think they thought they never would get over the hump with him. They make the move to Steve Kerr. Obviously some other things happen along the line to help him out, but um, that's kind of one of those things where it, it you take a bit of a risk and you hope it pans out. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I've been a pretty anti-Doc Rivers guy throughout most of his Sixers tenure, so I can't believe I'm kind of sitting in the position where I'm defending him here. But I guess my whole feelings on it is, A, I'm not surprised he's fired. I mean, he was brought here to get the Sixers past the second round, went 0 for 3 on those opportunities. My defense of him is just this year was the by far the best job I've seen him do as a head coach of the Sixers. I thought he was vastly better as a head coach this season than the other two years combined. I also put just about 0% of the blame on him for Game 7. He did not make Joel Embiid score 15, 15 points on uh, 18 shot attempts. He did not make James Harden score 9 points and shoot 0 for 5 from 3. 
but the stars did not show up and that was the bottom line from this my biggest concern with this is i feel like this is a move to please james harden more than anything and that's where i get the root of the issues the sixers have already had the rockets 2.0 perception they're gonna hire mike d'antoni and it's just gonna double down on that and like i i just hate that that that's the mindset like my, my tweet on it which i still stand by like if Daryl Morey sat back and decided that Doc Rivers is not the guy to take this team to a championship, which is a fair conclusion, this is absolutely okay. If this was a move to please James Harden or in an attempt to make sure he returns, then I have some serious issues with the direction this organization is going. I kind of lean toward the latter on that, on where I think the actual thought process came from, which is disappointing. I'm sure we'll hear more in these next coming weeks, and I'll talk more in depth about this as that goes on. But I did want to at least acknowledge that and kick things off. So we can move on to, I guess, the teams that are, are still winning organizations and still in the <laughs> NBA are, are still in the, the, the running for playoffs here. So basically, we want to jump, dive into our top takeaways from the playoffs so far, things that can be applied around the league. And I'll kick things off with you right away, Ryan, with number one. So hit me with your biggest takeaway so far from the playoffs. And what do you want to get into? Well, can I make my first one a Sixers, Sixers take? Go for it. I think Joel has played his last game here. I don't wow. think it's uh... – I don't think it's an organization like I don't think it's Daryl Morey and the rest of the front office saying they want to move on. I think it's one of the things where he knows he's not getting any younger. He just had an MVP season. He's going to be what up 30 going into next season. He'll turn 30 next season. He's 29. Yeah. yeah. So I think he knows if he if he really cares about winning and wants to be a championship player, I think he knows that he might have to get out of here. Um, and I think we all know his love and affection for Jimmy Butler. My prediction is like an Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and some draft picks for for Embiid. That's certainly not getting us where we want to go, but I, I just think he's kind of he's plat. Not, I'm not going to say plateaued, but in his mind, I think he thinks we've done kind of everything possible. You don't really know what the next move would be to get us past this round again, and you're still going to have to run into the same guys in Boston most likely to get past, which you haven't been able to do. And Giannis isn't leaving the East either. We'll probably get into him as well. But I, I just think personally this is one of those things where the stars drive this league so much. And I think if he wants to go play with Jimmy Butler, he's going to find his way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand how you landed there. I don't think that's the case. I do think Joel will be back. First off, a lot of the responsibility for why the Sixers are not still in the playoffs falls on Joel Embiid's shoulders. So you got to wear that, that you didn't show up in game seven and that I, I have a point about him that I'll get into later. Uh, but like that's on you. You have to understand that you have to wear that. You can't a ask out for an excuse with that. I do think he genuinely liked Doc Rivers. It's no coincidence that the three best seasons of his career came under under Doc Rivers as a coach. As much as people want to complain about him getting in the post, playing like a traditional center the change to have him build around the elbow has drastically altered Joel's career arc and that mid-range jumper, which has added since the Doc Rivers tenure. And this is a credit both ways, both to Doc and Joel for making this work, but that changed everything in his game. He led the NBA in scoring in the past two years. What I will say is I think it's a big deal that he won MVP this year because I think he's now going to be willing to control his body a little more, take more games off and not be as gung-ho for the regular season reward awards i think he needs to understand that there frankly is a significant difference between the regular season playoffs i mean we're talking about two playing teams or two of the the remaining teams in this so like there just is a different level of that so joel needs to understand that and be willing to preserve his body more which he just hasn't these past couple of years and i understand you want to prove everybody wrong but like that's a point to it and i also think he needs to be willing to make the adjustments to his game where he's not such a high usage offensive player it's great that he's capable of scoring 
33 points per game like he did this season, but I don't know if that's the recipe for success. Maybe it is giving Tyrese Maxey some more opportunities to create on the perimeter. Maybe it is Joel slipping to like a 20-point-per-game score and dominating on rebounds and dominating defensively. So I do agree that Joel needs to give himself a long look in the mirror this offseason, but I think the end result is it still ends with him back in the Sixers, uh, a Sixers uniform, at least for one more season and to see out how this offseason goes. Yeah, I I think one of the main kind of takeaways that or reasons that I don't think he'll be back is just because of Philadelphia itself. And I think the slander will only can continue on him throughout this offseason if just say Jokic or Anthony Davis continue to dominate and one of them does go on to win the finals. And I feel like it's it's just one of those things. It's it's gonna be a lot of backlash going forward throughout throughout this summer. And especially if it's one of those things where like the Phillies aren't playing well. You have to find something to to nitpick in, in Philadelphia. Uh, I just think it could be one of those things where sort of like Wentz, where he's like, all right, I've heard enough of this. I don't need this anymore. Get me out of here. And that's just sometimes a sad reality of Philadelphia. But I, I also think for, for his career, best sake of, of winning a championship, it might be getting out of here as well. Yeah, and I get that. Uh, I Again, like, He's 29. That's not ancient by NBA standards whatsoever. So he still has some years left and still, I think the injury concerns have become overblown at this point. I mean, you look around the NBA, all these guys miss games. You look at guys like Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, uh, like plenty, Anthony Davis, plenty of these guys miss more games than Joel does. And some of it is to his own detriment that he wants to play as much as he does. And like I said, we are in the load management era. So I don't think the chances are zero that he doesn't request a trade and force out of here. And if you're the Sixers, you don't trade him unless that's the case, because you don't win a trade in the NBA unless you come away with the best player. And there's very little room to go up from Joel Embiid. So it is really hard. Like even that package you mentioned from Miami, like the Duncan Robinson, the Tyler here, whatever, like if we're serious about trying to win a championship, that's a significant step away from that. So unless he's forcing his way out the door, you don't let that happen. But I do think the chances of it are significantly higher than I would have expected at this point in this offseason for sure. So I guess I'll slide into my number one point, which does kind of involve Joel Embiid here. And it does pain me to say it, but Nikola Jokic is the best center in the NBA. And this is a guy that I have crucified, that I have pounded the table for Joel. You can call me a flip-flopper, changing sides, whatever, but the bottom line is results prove things. And Joel Embiid is sitting for his sixth consecutive year where he's not made it past the second round while Nikola Jokic has been the best player in the playoffs, dominating on the West Coast. And for sure, he's had some lunch meat defenders and DeAndre Ayton and everybody, his whole path here. But the bottom line is he's getting the job done. He's carrying this Nuggets team, and they look built to be a true contender. So while I question his postseason success, he has overcame this hurdle. Joel Embiid, on the other hand, got tripped over, uh, tripped up over it once again. So I'm not saying this can't change and Joel can't respond, come with a better a better season or a better postseason next year, but there is a significant gap between them, and it's on Joel to make up for that. Yeah, and we were talking about this before as well. I think he's, as of this moment right now, you could say he's the third. Joel's the third best center in the league, the way that Anthony Davis has been playing throughout these playoffs. He's really flipped the switch and – just shows when he's able to stay healthy and on the floor, how good it can be. I mean, several like 20 point or 20 rebound performances out of him, this yeah. playoffs. And I think I that's one of that. the, yeah. And I think that's one of the big things that Joel, I know it, I feel like it's not being kind of talked about enough that he still was battling a pretty significant knee injury throughout the playoffs, but his effort on the glass just wasn't really there much. And especially like on the offensive glass, just, I feel like there, there are certain situations, especially on game seven at the beginning where it's like, 
the ball's up there for grabs and he wasn't even making a slightest of an effort for it. Um, Davis, on the other hand, has been going over 20 rebounds several different occasions. Jokic has that 50-point per- performance. He's got a few triple-doubles thrown in there as well. Um, the the big men have shown up, and I think that's one of my uh, takeaways from you know the evolution of the NBA that I never really thought anymore that you could win a, a championship with your big man being your best player. It's kind of un- debatable right now whether LeBron or AD has been the best Laker. But Jokic, clearly the best nugget throughout the playoffs. Um, and, and one of those two guys are going to the finals. So it, it's going to be like, – it goes back to Embiid where it's going to be a long offseason if one of those guys is like hoisting up a finals MVP trophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I went into this postseason very optimistic that the best player on the planet is pretty much for the taking, that whoever came out of it in these playoffs kind of can take that title. And I was optimistic that Joel Embiid could be that guy. He didn't. He sunk in the moment, and we never got that statement game. And even looking at the Sixers' success, like James Harden was, he had his higher highs and lower lows, but he was the better Sixers player through that. He had a 42-point performance, a 45-point performance, won a game without Embiid on the floor. So there was never that signature moment from Embiid, and that's the unfortunate reality that we all have to swallow, Joel Embiid included. So it does pain me to admit this, but I agree with everything you said. I think that's completely fair, and it's going to be on Joel to respond. So if you want to slide over to your next topic for number two here, what you got? Well, I'll go to a guy that has risen to the moment and to the occasion. And my takeaway is that Jimmy Butler is him, mm-hmm. Himmy Turner, whatever you want to call him. He has proven to be that guy throughout this off, uh, throughout this postseason. Uh, I mean, just some of the lineups that he's gone out there and, and done shit with. He's had that killer instinct, that killer mentality the entire playoffs. And it's one of those things I feel like it – old coach saying this to a young kid but like if you if he if Embiid had half like the heart and and mindset that Butler's shown throughout this postseason then I think we would still be playing in a different round because we we have seen Embiid when he is engaged how good he can be Butler has shown no signs of being not engaged whatsoever this entire postseason and it was crazy that they were they lost the first playing game right yep yeah then they then they've came back from from that uh Torched Giannis. I think he put Giannis kind of in his place um, and just some of those performances. And now here they are in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I, the Celtics are a huge favorite going into the series. But, you know, it, it's going to take some more special heroic efforts. We'll see if he has that um, under his sleeve still. But I'm not ruling this guy out because just it's just like that guy on the playground that says, I'm not losing this game. And he mm-hmm. just goes out there and plays like that. Um, it, it's been a kind of a pleasure to watch. I don't think I'm going to watch much of the Eastern Conference Finals just because of the anger of watching it. But, you know, he was sitting there on Sunday watching Game 7, laughing at the screen like these bozos let me walk out the door and look at me back in the Eastern Conference Finals again. Yeah, I, I spot on. I had this on my list as well. Uh, the I, I had it listed as my little bu- bullet point as Jimmy Butler is a top five player whenever he wants to be. And that's what I've seen from him. Is It's amazing the way he's flipped the switch from a pretty casual regular season to – looking like the best player for stretches of the postseason, the best basketball player on the planet. And especially some of the shot selection stuff, like I'm looking at his stats here. Like during the regular season, he averaged 22.9 points per game, 5.9 rebounds, 5.3 assists, attempted just 1.6 three-pointers per game, shot it at 35% clip. Look ahead to these playoffs. 
Uh, and by the way, those are fine numbers, but nothing crazy. Well, good numbers, but nothing crazy. Looking at his playoff stats, 31.1 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 5.4 assists, attempting 3.6 30-pointers a game, uh, hitting at a 36.1% clip there. So it is impressive. And the biggest thing about Jimmy Butler is, like, I've said this a couple of times, but you look around the NBA and each guy has, like, their defining skill set. Butler's is purely, like, his will to win, and he just is going to do whatever it takes. And it does translate. Like, the Bucks victory in that opening round was especially impressive to me. That was like him single-handedly. Like I'm not losing these games and the heat as a whole, like I know we kind of shit on heat culture and everything else, but like they've got seven undrafted players on the yeah. roster. They're finding ways to win. And, and even the games where Butler has missed the game, they've still look competent and they're still have a system that's working. So hat tip to the heat. I do think they get demolished by the Celtics in this round, but you can't take away from what they've done in these playoffs. Yeah. And that's certainly like, the description of most valuable player you take jimmy butler off this heat team what are they probably up there with the, up there with the pistons maybe tonight to, to have the chance to get the number one overall pick like that's mm. like how i mean probably not that bad but you know what i mean they're they're up there in the lottery and that certainly he's looked like the most valuable player i think if there was just like a most valuable player for the whole playoffs they should make that award up and, and hand that to jimmy butler right away but uh, I, I am rooting for him. I would like to see him actually take down the Celtics. I think it would be a cool thing. Um, maybe get like a rematch of, of him versus LeBron from the bubble. But uh, certainly a, a postseason remember for Jimmy Butler here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, it was interesting. I listened to last night the Bill Simmons podcast with uh, from before the playoffs started. And they were talking about the, the best playoff storylines going in, trying to get a little motivation for this and everything. And one of the things that they mentioned is like, are the Heat on blow-up watch? Like if they this was right after they lost the first playing game. And it's like, if they look this bad, like where do they go from here? And that's so crazy to think like, cause I had that same mindset. They, they showed nothing through the regular season. They looked like they were like 20 games below 500 and they still like found a way to just flip the switch and are now in the conference finals while <laughs> many other teams are sitting at home. So it is crazy how getting hot at the right time can change things. And yeah, that's completely on Jimmy Butler for carrying the team and shifting the ties there. So definitely a hat tip. Uh, I'll move to my next point here. I'm going to frame this one as a little bit of a question because this is going to be something we're going to find out. It's just, can LeBron James still carry a team? Because we've seen the Lakers obviously still in, still in the conference finals, having success, hat tip to them for turning their season around midseason, probably the most drastic season turnaround I've ever seen from a team. Uh, but a lot of it has not really been at the hands of LeBron James dominating. He's And this is not a fully a critique. I don't mean this fully as a negative thing, but he's very much like, picking his spots when to like go all out and take it take over and it's been very interesting to watch like the, it feels like he's almost checked out at times where but it's it's not i wouldn't checked out it's not the right word it's it's more calculated it's more like he's winning games with his brain and it's just a way to win that i haven't really seen from lebron before and part of that is for sure his body aging a lot of this is responsibility falling on Anthony Davis to be that guy. And for most of the playoffs, he has been. There's still been inconsistency and inconsistent performance here and there. But I guess this is now the point in the playoffs where you can't really do that. So I'm curious to see how much he has in the tank. Is he going to step up and be that true number one guy when all things are said and done? And I think a lot of that is going to be found out in this Nuggets series. Yeah, it seems like one out of like every three games, I feel like he goes like kind of all in. Um, and I think we've seen it in like the limit or the chance to like close out the series. Like, let's wrap this up where he's really going like balls to the wall. Um, the the pieces around him that they were able to just 
do that at the deadline pretty much with, with the way that they've turned the season around, like you were saying, pretty insane. Um, but just like D'Angelo Russell's ability to go out and create shots, uh, I he's never going to be the player that Kyrie was, but that's like sort of that secondary ball handler creator who can make his own shot. And I think at this stage of LeBron's career, that's a big thing as well. Not having to be that guy where it used to be, all right, let's surround LeBron with a million shooters and let him do all the work. And we just got to make our open shots. They have other guys out there that can go out there and get some buckets. Um, Austin Reeves has played really well throughout the playoffs. His Mm -hmm. rise from was a very good college player, but was one of those guys where, you know, he might just stick on the end of a roster, bounce back and forth between the G league. He's, probably going to be getting what 80 to hundred million this yeah. off season, something like that. Um, the, the career arc of LeBron from what he was to kind of the, my in Cleveland at the beginning to what he was in Miami to back to Cleveland, where he was like the guy, like completely dominant again. And now this, like it, it's just been cool to watch that kind of trajectory. Uh, but I am intrigued to see, like you said, if he can turn it on really, but maybe that's what he's kind of been waiting for to like pick, pick his spots. But now he knows he's got two more chances. And I would say this is probably his last run at a title. I think unless the Lakers are able to kind of remold this roster again and run it back next year, but there was just so much drama in the West this season, I feel like, and I hopefully for the league's sake, it can kind of restore next year. But I think this is his best chance to go win a title again because the Celtics and the Heat are certainly beatable. I think the Nuggets are just the, the toughest team left in their path. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think last last chance for a ring in the way that he's kind of the guy still. I think after this, he probably either goes ring chasing or Bronny chasing or however <laughs> you want to put it. But uh, we'll, we'll definitely see a, a little bit of a change from LeBron. But I am excited to just see exactly what he's got left in the tank. And that's one of my biggest question marks for these next few rounds because it is hat tip to him that he's been able to, to get it done this way. And also the story of the Lakers throughout these playoffs has kind of been they've had a different guy step up on every night, whether it is Austin Reeves getting hot, Lonnie Walker coming out of nowhere, D'Angelo Russell doing enough, Dennis Schroeder having solid minutes. So they've had just enough supporting help that has got the job done to get it. I I, I think to a, to a certain point that kind of expires when it get, when it matters most and your star's got to step up. So LeBron's going to have to face that. I'm excited to see it. And if he's still got it at 38 years old and doing his thing, it's incredibly impressive. And he definitely has those flashes where you still see it. So that's one of the things I'm excited to to see in these next couple games. And I'll toss it to you for your next takeaway. Yeah, just to wrap that up real quick, I think that injury that he had towards the end of the season has really helped him because it was sort of like what it was in the bubble. Like he yeah. got that extended rest and now he's ready to like make that final push and that final run. And like we've been saying, he hasn't been able to, or he hasn't had to do it all himself. So I think this is kind of as fresh as he's been this late in the season since, you know, the bubble, obviously with the, their playoff issues the past few years, but like looking back at his entire career, he was pretty much the most durable player. I feel like playing, you know, at least 80 games, it seemed like every season, but uh, my third takeaway, it's kind of goes back to what I, I feel like we were taught and it was like steered in our mind growing up, like to win basketball games at a high level, you need like a true point guard. You need a guy to go out there, run the show, set up his teammates. I mean, we still see that in college, I think a lot, but I think we've seen throughout the, the NBA playoffs, you don't really need that true point guard anymore. It, it's really about just getting that combo guard wing. I mean, you look at Tatum, you look at Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, LeBron, Jamal Murray, none of those guys are really a true point guard. And, and I feel like that position is starting to slowly fade away. Um, you look at Steph, you know, what he, he's obviously a point guard, but he's such a scorer first type guy. But then you look at a guy like I know he was 
hampered by injuries in the playoffs again. But Chris Paul, like that's one of those positions I think that is slowly starting to kind of phase out and become less and less relevant, especially in the NBA. So if you're not able to score at a high level and you're going to be bringing the ball up all the time, I, I think it's it's hard to find you a, a spot on the floor in today's league because it, it was it was embarrassing to see how poorly the Sixers played on offense those last two games. What was it, 83 and 88 points? Mm-hmm. And then you're looking at, you know, most of the other games in the playoffs are 115 and above. It's You, you got to be able to score more than ever, and I, I think we're going to see less and less of that traditional point guard going forward. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and I think what plays like a big role in it is every single player on the floor has to be able to dribble and shoot at this point. It doesn't matter if you're one through five; you have to be able to do those basic basketball skill sets. It's it's not as like segmented and and individualized as far as what you have to do on the floor. Everybody has to do a little bit of everything. The NBA is coming increasingly positionless, and it is interesting that that is. I mean, you look at like Nikola Jokic is essentially the point guard for this Nuggets team. The way he play makes and does things, obviously a tremendous passer and everything. So there's just different ways to build a team, I guess. And and it definitely is not that one size fits all position in the way that it has been. So yeah, that's an interesting thought and something I didn't think of in here. So yeah, I agree with that, and I am curious to see if there is like a a backswing where the pendulum kind of gets too far in this position list and we start to go back to it, or if it just continues down this path, the basketball. So that'll be something I'll be looking forward to paying attention to in in years forward. Uh, To jump in, I'll switch, switch to my next one here. Is the Golden State Warriors dynasty over? And I will go a step to say that I do believe that it is. Uh, We saw them not be capable of taking down this Lakers team. The series really did not live up to the hype that I expected it. I thought it was going to be the Steph Curry versus LeBron James showdown. It didn't prove to be the case. The Lakers had, I don't want to say an easy time, but they handled them comfortably. They proved they were the better team, and frankly, they looked like it throughout. So just looking at what the Warriors are dealing with here, I mean, they spend over $200 million more than the average NBA team. They've spent $632 million over the last two years. Steph Curry is 35. Klay Thompson's 33. Draymond's 33. The luxury tax is unreal and is not getting any better. Do you think owners are going to realistically look at this and like look at it and it's like it's time to keep running this back, keep ringing up these bills, especially with the new CBA, how there's all these other punishments with the second tax apron where there's things like you can't take on additional salaries, you can't trade picks a certain year out in a way that they're punishing these teams that are extra spenders. That hasn't been done in years past. So I do think we're getting to the point where the Warriors are going to have to look themselves in the mirror, whether that's let Draymond walk and try and find a, a job at, or find a, a role somewhere else or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I do think, I mean, four four championships in eight seasons is unbelievable. You can't take away from what they've done. But I do think we are at the end of the Warriors' reign. Yeah, two things on that for me. One, I think – they were trying to build like that contingency plan with, with these high draft picks that they had. Wiseman obviously didn't pan out. Jordan Poole's contract's looking like a huge miss right now. And then, you know, Kaminga and Moody have, have shown flashes, but I don't think either of those guys will ever be, you know, a star type player. And they also haven't been given the most opportunities, the most minutes, just because they were trying to squeeze the life out of this last run with Steph and them. So I think their contingency plan that they kind of had in place really got all screwed up by not taking LaMelo um, at the top there. And then the second thing is it kind of reminds me of just from watching the last dance, the like winning that championship last year, they might've looked to blow it up like after that. And then that's what the bulls were like, all right, well, we won. Should we go and try to do one more? But they did decide to cancel it, blow it all up. And then, you know, the rest was history with that. 
it, it kind of has similar parallels to that where I think the Warriors did try to go and do it one more time. But like you're saying, I, I just don't really see see the possibilities of it anymore. And Clay had a couple nice games in the playoffs, but he's certainly not the player he once was. Steph is still, I think, can play at a really high level. Um, I think, though, he might need like kind of like what LeBron has right now with with AD with another guy that's a real star that he can go with. Cause I just think at this stage of his career, Clay's excuse me, Clay's not that anymore. Draymond is it, just what Draymond's always been. Wiggins, I don't think could ever be, you know, a legit number one or number two guy with you. So um, I, I'm kind of on board with that. It wouldn't surprise me to see them s- switch things up a little bit and try and make one more push with Steph and Clay and Draymond and, you know, somehow get some other guy in there. They always seem to find a way, but uh, I, I do agree with you that I think the Warriors little run here is over. Mm-hmm. And they've done a very good job having their system, having guys to plug and play, but there's just no replacing like Steph Curry, like Steph Curry. There's no hand me down for that. And as yeah. Jordan Poole like shows flashes and has these things like you, Steph Curry's a once in a generation player. This, there's, there's no plug and play guy to, to like the Warriors reign ends when Steph Curry falls. And as much as like you can develop guys, whatever. And, and the misses in the draft are absolutely relevant to this. Like if they take, Lamelo over Wiseman, or if they end up with Tyrese Halliburton, things probably look a lot different. But they just don't have those like top end stars to pass the baton to. They don't have these young guys itching to reach that level. Even Kaminga, like, was basically benched in this Lakers series, and he's a guy that I really like throughout the draft process. And it's disappointing to me that like he's not seeing time on the floor because that's pretty telling. Because Steve Kerr, in general, is a pretty like he- he'll let guys play through their issues. So. For him to not even get a crack at it is is not an encouraging sign for his development. So so yeah, it's been quite the run. Credit to the Warriors. Still can't take away from the four championship that they did rake up, but I do think that we are rapidly approaching an ugly end to it. So that's my next takeaway. I'll toss it back to you for for your next one. Just kind of slides into some Warriors or some previous Warrior stuff as well. I'm going to go with Kevin Durant. Should just be nicknamed the Coach Killer. Um, it seems like everywhere he goes besides the Warriors with Steve Kerr, he's gotten the guy can. Did he get Scott Brooks fired as well? I think he left before Scott Brooks. Okay. So, but then other than that, we've had Nash, we've had, you know, whatever happened with Jock Vaughn, um, that whole situation between those two. Um, and now Monty Williams, who went went through all that, sh- that shit in his life, came back, bounced back, took the Phoenix Suns to the NBA Finals, Yeah, never – that never happened with Steve Nash or Mario Stoudemire or whatever that run they had was a three, two lead, I believe as well in the NBA mm-hmm. finals. And then, you know, it ended with the Giannis title, but Monty Williams, I think one of the most like respected guys throughout the organization, I think the, the Sixers are going to try and be in play with him with his previous connections here. But it just seems like Kevin Durant is, is never satisfied with what's in front of him. Um, and he's never won outside of his run with golden state. So it, it's he's such a talented player he's such a good guy but i don't think he gets enough kind of backlash that you know Kyrie faced before because Kyrie has certainly been his headache and his locker room cancer off the floor but i don't think kevin durant can really be seen seen for that much better and and why someone is going to want i mean obviously it's an attractive situation with durant and booker but like you know if i go there and i don't win within one or two years i'm probably getting fired as well so he, he's been a coach killer and just a, I think his overall demeanor as just like a basketball teammate inside an organization. I feel like he's like a guy that just throws everyone under the bus around him. So uh, uh, 
that happening again, them falling short in the playoffs. I know they didn't really have much time to gel throughout the season, but just uh, another coach lo- losing his job on the behalf of Kevin Durant. I think it's, it's just one of the lesser talked about things throughout the NBA. Yeah, and I do think Monty Williams got a, a bum rap there. There's nothing he can do. The The Suns just ran out of talent besides Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. That's that's the trade-off that you get when you got your team making that type of blockbuster trade. And you can absolutely defend it in the fact that you brought in Kevin Durant. But like when you lose the the Bridges, the Cam Johnsons, the, these are key rotational players that you need to win games. And they really didn't have that. I mean, like DeAndre Ayton disappeared as well. He showed nothing in that series. So we see that. I think that's a fair point. Uh something that I left off my list here, I almost grouped it with Jimmy is how much one player can make a difference in the playoff. And that still like swings toward why you do make these deals. And frankly, I think like the Kevin, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker duo makes a ton more sense than the him and Kyrie duo ever did just from Devin Booker's a hooper. Like there's things you cannot like about him. You can make a real argument that he played some of the best individual basketball throughout these playoffs. I mean, he was averaging over 35 points per game for most of the stretch. I'm not sure what he ended with. He cooled off a little at the end. They just kind of ran out of gas, but like those two together is enough to build a title contender. Whichever coach ends up there next is in good shape and you can bring in some pieces to, to surround them. So, I don't disagree with your take, but I, I I don't disagree with your take. I think Monty Williams got a really bum rap. It sounds like he's heading to Milwaukee. I would love the Sixers try and at least finesse that and bring him here because I do think he's a very good coach and an even better guy. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's a fair point. I still think the Suns are in good shape, and it is disappointing for Monty. And I do think it, it does. Uh, you do have to take into account as well. A new owner just bought the team, so yeah. he's probably going to want to bring in his own guy. And I also did just see Detroit fell all the way down to fifth. Yeah, I know. I'm getting these pop-ups now, so we'll do a, a reaction here at the end. Uh, I'll jump to my next point here is Jalen Brunson is legit. That's one of the most impressive things that I've seen this takeaway. I remember all the hoopla, all the, the noise about how much he's overpaid, how ridiculous this contract is. That is going to age as one of the best bargain deals across the NBA. I mean, he had a career year across the board. Looking at his regular season stats, first off, career high, 24 points per game. assists, 3.5 rebounds, shot 41.6% from three on 4.7 attempts per game. And then they go in the postseason and really take control. Once again, career high numbers across the board, average 27.8 points per game, 4.9 rebounds, 5.6 assists, 1.5 steals. And beyond just the numbers, like he straight up took control of games. He's a master at just getting to his spots. I've never really seen a player like him, the way he almost plays like a post player at like six foot one, the way he's just able to get to his spots, manipulate on the floor, super high IQ basketball player. So that's a, that was a terrific move for the Knicks and no, they're not championship contenders by any means yet. But as far as building an infrastructure for a winner, Jalen Brunson's absolutely a player that you want involved in that. So I'm hyped that he's a part of that. It was fun to watch him take control of the spotlight and, He's just a blast to watch play basketball. So shout out Jalen Brunson for making a lot of people eat their words and proving to be a legitimate star in this league. Yeah, coming out, I, I think he was the 30th pick in the first round. Um, certainly not the best athlete. And, you know, Villanova players have mostly been role players in the past. But he was a two-time national champion and just a straight killer in college throughout his three years at Villanova. Mm-hmm. And I was just one of those things where – like you're not, I don't know how many better players you're getting on your team than that, that for him to fall all the way to the end of the first round. But I think I'm interested to hear if you agree with this. I think the closest, they're different players, skill set wise and build wise and everything. But I think the closest thing to Jalen Brunson is, is Jimmy Butler. Just the way that yeah. I think like 
not the most athletic, not the most skilled, but they're just like kind of like you're saying with Devin Booker as well. They're just like straight hoopers and they find ways to win. You just look everywhere they've been. They've been winning productive players. And I, I Jimmy might be able to change my mind if he is able to somehow pull off this entire thing and go win it all. But I still don't think he could be like the number one guy on a team. I think he's best suited to have like a be a really, really good number two. And I think the same thing with Brunson. But when you're paying Julius Randle what you're paying Julius Randle, they have to find a way to get out of that contract and get that guy to come in with Brunson because Brunson's also a guy where he's not going to bitch and complain if his numbers take a dip or his shots go down. RJ Barrett, I think, will be a nice three or four piece on a team, but the Knicks still need that other guy to come in and take them over the hump. Um, and I think Jalen Brunson has done, like you said, a great job of laying that foundation. Now it's just, can we find a way to go get that guy? Um, I think that'll be huge. And bringing the Knicks eventually back and over the top once again. Yeah, totally. And I'm interested to see who that player is. I've been hearing some Carl Anthony Towns buzz. I don't know if that's uh, the player that you're missing there. I'm not a big cat guy in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I shout out to Jalen Bronson for kind of being that guy. The Mavericks will forever regret letting him walk because he's terrific. And I mean, we saw the Kyrie disaster towards the end of the year. They're not in a good spot and they just fell to 10th pick in the draft. So that's a an L for them as well. I mean, they moved up a little bit, but like that's they wanted some more noise than that. So we will see how this all ties together. Uh, do you have another takeaway here? Yeah, I got one more. Um, just kind of a league wide take in itself. Not no one singled out, but I think it's just nobody in the NBA is safe. Like at any moment, you mm-hmm. can something like something can change for you. I mean, we we're just talking about Monty Williams. We think he got a bad rap, but. You know, Embiid finally got over that hump, won the MVP, and here I come on here. I, I know I can be, like, a bit irrational at times, but I also don't think it's crazy saying that there is a possibility that he could get traded. When you when you continue to do the same thing over and over and over and lose in the same round, change is going to be wanted by someone. So, And then we look at, you know, Kevin Durant with uh, getting traded to – to Phoenix, like things can change so quick in the NBA. He signed that extension with the Nets and he's gone within a year. Um, and then just, I think to wrap it up, like with nobody safe, like John Morant, what's going to happen with him. He could lose over North of $200 million if the NBA and the Grizzlies decide to do something with him. So it, it I think it's the reason, the reason it's the most like reality TV show, like the, real housewives of of new jersey or some shit like that like there's just always some drama in the nba the nfl is a a calendar or it fills the whole calendar year with entertainment year in year out but i think the nba drama is always at its peak and you're always kind of like wow like there's more draw dropping draw jaw dropping things in the nba every single season that than we expect and stuff that comes out of left field each and every year that's why i think one of the main reasons why that I let off with, I think Embiid is going to request out just because I don't think a lot of people are going to see that coming, but I, I don't think anyone's safe anymore. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it's proven more and more every year. So I think that's a great take. I'll give you my final one here, which I've kind of softened on after that 51 point performance from Jason Tatum uh, to, to end the Sixers season. But I think Jalen Brown's the Celtics best player. And I think that the duo of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum is not meant to last. I think 
Jalen Brown's got a little too much alpha in him for him for this to continue. And frankly, he's been better than Jason Tatum for stretches. So I get it. Like the nights where he would only get 16 shots off against the Sixers. It's like, you're helping us out right now. Like you're by far damaging us worse. And I, I it's obviously the contract side of things. Him making an all NBA team gives him access to make way more money with the Celtics. And he's going to accept that super max after this season. So I, I don't, I don't expect it to be in the immediate future because of, you know, the financial implications and he's going to take that money. But I would be surprised if he plays the length of that contract in Boston. And I feel like that duo is headed for a breakup at some point. Yeah, I could see that as well. You know, even if they do find a way to win a title, you know, it's not the same duo as Kobe and Shaq, but just, one of those butting head personality type things yeah. where I want to be the guy, give me my, my reign. Um, I don't know if I would put Brown over Tatum just cause even when Tatum was playing like shit, scoring the ball and shooting the ball poorly, he still was really impacting the game in a lot of ways. I think it was the game four game where he really struggled from the field, but he still put up 18 rebounds I, and he's gotten so much better on defense as well. And I think playmaking too. Um, I don't think, they were talking about this on part of my take that he doesn't really have that dog in him at times where he, it seems like he kind of shies away from taking the big shot, but then he goes out there and has 51 in game seven and that huge fourth quarter in game six to that really, I think put the nail in the coffin for the series. But uh, so I, I think I would still put Tatum over Brown, but I agree with you. I could see those two butting heads too much and clashing and, and Jalen Brown going and being like, all right, if the Celtics want Tatum to be their guy, I could definitely go be the guy somewhere else. But then it goes back to square one. I don't know if he could be the guy to get you a championship, get you the title. I think he could fall in that Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brunson type range that I was just mentioning a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's fair. And both terrific talents, like both clearly top 15 players in the NBA. So shout out to them. Uh, I, I'm hoping for the Celtics demise. I wouldn't say it's the <laughs> best move for them. I think they should keep them together as long as they can. But I do think there there's a little something brewing there. And the, the other thing that swayed me towards Jalen Brown and, and credit to Tatum, he's grown as a defender, but Jalen Brown's like a game changing defender. Like as much as we want to like shit on Harden for his struggles, like the big bulk of that was the Celtics switching Brown on the Harden in this series. Like Marcus Smart could not handle James Harden. Jalen Brown pretty much shot him down and, and we saw that. So that is a credit to him. And that's something that is there on an every night basis, which isn't the case for a lot of guys. So shout out to Jalen Brown and, before we wrap things up here, the, the full lottery results are in now. And Victor Wembanyama will be heading to the San Antonio Spurs with the one pick. So top of the order, it went Spurs at one, Hornets at two, Trailblazers at three. Ryan, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, first thing I would say, my guy Brandon Miller might go two now. I don't know if Scoot and LaMelo mm -hmm. together. And then you said Trailblazers three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trailblazers three. So Damian Lillard will be a sixer, and Scoot Henderson will go <laughs> to the Trailblazers. Yeah, um, <laughs> San Antonio is a perfect place for for Wemby. That that's that's awesome. Greg Popovich is going to work wonders with him. They're about they're about to build another dynasty out of this <laughs> man. That's. It, I feel like it's only right that he. Uh, this that's a great place for him. I'm I'm happy because you look at a lot of these organizations, and I mean. This is the biggest ticket prospect since maybe even bigger than LeBron as far as the the growth, the buzz about this kid. So I'm not surprised that he's ending up on a uh, a, a primetime franchise here. I'm glad he's not ended up in like Charlotte or Portland or Houston or a lot of these franchises that frankly, like things have gone wrong. So there is a great infrastructure for him there. He's got all the potential in the world. So I do think that's a, 
a great place for him. And shout out to San Antonio, man. That's I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with that result. Yeah, I just looked it up. Pop 74. So I don't know, you know, how much more you'll get out of him, but I assume there's been someone within the organization that they've been kind of grooming to take over that spot within the next year or so. Um, but I do think going back to what you're saying about LeBron and Wembenyama, I think, you know, if Wembenyama was here, was like playing in America, like he was an American high school kid doing this, I think his buzz would be kind of above LeBron. But I think because he's in France, it's one of those things where if you're not a basketball follower all year round, some people might not have heard of him. Like even at work with people that I know don't really pay attention to basketball, some of them have started to say to me, have you seen this kid from France? And I'm like, yeah, yeah we've seen him for past years. They're like, he's unbelievable. So I think it's as we get closer within that month to the draft, the buzz with him is just going to continue to grow. Um, but I agree. The, the Spurs, it seemed like all season was the – the landing spot that people were calling for with their luck getting David Robinson and Tim Duncan before um, it, it'll be cool to see him there and revive the Spurs. I think the Spurs is one of those teams where the, the league is better when, when they're a good team. Yeah. Agreed with that for sure. And uh, they absolutely will be now. And, and by the way, I, I originally thought Brett Brown was like the guy that was being groomed for the Greg Popovich successor. Now, about that. Yeah. Now, now that feels like 10 years ago at this point, probably was close to 10 years ago mm -hmm. at this point. So uh, who knows? He might just coach forever, but either way, he's going to work wellness with Wemby as long as he is there and, and shout out to that. So we can wrap things up here. We're going down to the final four teams of the NBA playoffs. Ryan, you want to wrap it up with a, a final prediction for who wins the NBA championship? Um, going into the playoffs, I had the Bucks. you know, obviously that didn't pan out because I thought Giannis was kind of go on like a, a demon type tour and, and kind of prove people why he should have been the MVP. Um, I think Jokic is in that mindset now. And I think he does help them get over the top. Um, I don't think they're, I don't think the Lakers are going to be able to score with the nuggets as at a high level consistency. Um, I think the nuggets just have too many guys that could go off. When, when you look at the Lakers, they have the nice supporting pieces, but one of LeBron or AD has to go off for them, I think to win. Um, I think Jokic, Mary, and even Porter Jr. you can throw in there as well can go off at any time. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Nuggets, and then I will take them over the Celtics. I think that would be a pretty fun series as well. I'll go Nuggets 4-2 over Boston. All right, I like that. I do think the Nuggets are the better team out of them and the Lakers, but I just can't shake a Celtics-Lakers finals. I feel like that's where we're heading, heading toward, and I'm taking the Celtics over the Lakers. I'm going to go with that as my prediction. We'll see what happens, but... Anyway, thank you guys for watching. Make sure to drop a like on this video. Drop a comment on any of your top takeaways that you have from these playoffs that we missed or let slip through the gaps there. Make sure to drop a subscribe on this. We'll be back with you soon here on PickSwap Media.